it started years ago as like not a very kind thing. You know, it was more about torture and military stuff and being tied in certain positions um, to know like what that prisoner had actually done. And eventually over the years, it turned into an art form. It got to the West, then it turned into something sexual. And now that I've been playing and exploring with it, for me, I use it as a healing modality. I see it as a healing tool. Welcome to the Way of the Healer Conversations for Change podcast. I'm your host, Darieth Chisholm. Here, you'll meet some of the world's most extraordinary thought leaders and experts, iconic artists and creators, top performing athletes, successful entrepreneurs, philanthropists, spiritual teachers, shamans, healers, and many, many more. They sit with me, an Emmy award-winning TV host and former news anchor turned filmmaker and life and business coach for some powerful conversations for change. What are these conversations about? Healing. Healing, healing all aspects of our mind, body, soul, spirit, this planet, each other, and the systems and structures we're currently living in. You'll learn about topics like plant medicine and psychedelics, spirituality, conscious entrepreneurship, conscious communication, the new earth, quantum leaping, multidimensional living, pleasure, play, and sexuality, breathwork, sound healing, food and supplements, and ah, there's just so much. You're just going to need to subscribe to the channel and listen. Come with me now behind the curtain to get the backstory on how and why these remarkable people heal themselves and others, how they lead, what makes them tick, what lights them up, gets them down, keeps them going, and what they believe is the way of the healer. So let's go. On this episode of The Way of the Healer, we're going to be talking about shibari, a very interesting form of Japanese rope tying. Now, before we do that, I do want to update you on a couple of things. First off, obviously, I'm not at home. I'm at a beautiful lake here in North Carolina. And if you've been following me on social media, then you know that I am dead smack in the middle of my Summer Freedom Tour 2023, where I've been traveling all across the country, hitting now 15 states as part of my adventure, exploration, and grand trip for the summer. And so I want to invite you, if you're not following me, to please do so on all social media platforms, because I've got so many more months of travel and so many interesting places that I'm headed So if travel's your thing, you might want to do that. Okay, now back to this podcast episode. And why do I even mention that? Because on part of my travel, I went and experienced Shibari with Heather Ray Dawn. She's an amazing healer who has been working with Shibari ropes for the past five years. And in my experience in San Diego with her, it was quite interesting. Now, again, if you look at the visuals, you might think that this is very painful or torturous or some form of sexual domination. For me, it was just the opposite. I found a great amount of freedom, in fact, liberation, and I formed the conviction that I would never allow anything else to shackle me, tie me, keep me bound or restricted from anything that I desire to do in life. And so to walk away from an experience with having my hands and my arms and my feet tied and 
I was also kind of dangling in the air. And to have that experience and to deepen into that was profound. And Shibari, coupled with Tantra, is a powerful form of healing. In this episode, Heather talks about how Shibari is used for healing, particularly with people who are uh, perhaps dealing with sexual trauma, PTSD, addiction, depression, and those that are looking for transformative experience, very much like I experienced. So as always, I invite you to please subscribe to whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. And certainly if you're watching on YouTube to do me a huge favor and subscribe and hit the notification bell, make sure that you watch all of this episode. You're going to find that this very interesting form of rope tying maybe right up your alley if you're looking for a new twist and turn in your healing journey. So let's get going. Plant medicine, psychedelics, and cannabis have really helped me deepen my meditation practice and morning routine. And while you don't necessarily need our plant natural allies to assist you in meditation, I find that with meditation, I'm able to have more clarity, direction, purpose and allow divine guidance and wisdom to flow through me. Stillness and quieting the mind allows you to access more of who and what you truly are. And that's where you can activate more creative expression and fulfillment of your dreams. As a gift to you, my friends, I've designed a special high frequency activation to help you encode, embrace and elevate your consciousness to ignite your creativity and passion. It's free and available for a limited time. Go to dariuth.com forward slash meditations to receive a guided meditation series with journal prompts and attuned high frequency sound waves. That's dariuth.com forward slash meditations. I have been so looking forward to this conversation with you, Heather, because I am fascinated by Shibari and I have never experienced it. I wouldn't even know what to expect, but just doing my research and coming to understand this, it is mind blowing. So what is Shibari? Mm. Well, Shibari is Japanese rope art. It, it started years ago as like not a very kind thing. You know, it was more about torture and military stuff and being tied in certain positions um, to know like what that prisoner had actually done. And eventually over the years, it turned into an art form. It got to the West, then it turned into something sexual. And now that I've been playing and exploring with it, for me, I use it as a healing modality. I see it as a healing tool. And um yeah, I just watch people heal all kinds of things through getting into a surrendered state. It so. looks very much like a surrendered state. I mean, having yourself be bound and tied and allowing that process without let me, you know, I would think that your mind starts to think, oh my God, what's happening to me? You could, of course, become very defensive. But as you point out, it's really opening up to a energy of surrender and is that what initiates the process of healing for people? Yeah, basically what happens is at first the mind kind of does kick in and wonders all kinds of things and questions things. And then as 
the person that's being tied breathes into it. What happens is the surrender happens. When the surrender happens, they go into a deep meditation and the body starts melting and calming. And then when we're in that place where the mind is stopped chattering, it's like everything that needs to come through to be looked at or felt or, or witnessed or emoted out or right? that's when transformation starts to happen that's when the healing starts to happen because all of a sudden our conscious mind the one that we're using all the time that chatters is calm and so then the rest of our mind can just be present with what is and there's no fight like with the regular mind there's a fight whereas in that surrendered space everything opens for us to be able to feel everything. And usually there's no, there's, there's emotions, but there's not a charge. And then that's where the healing happens. What kinds of healing are you seeing people experience? So I think, I mean, so many different kinds of healing. It's amazing. Women have been coming to me and they're actually, I used to do sexual healing on women, totally different style they're actually healing traumas from sexual wounding, um, from abuse, um, from mother issues. Um, I've had men coming to me that were um, locked up in solitary confinement that said, I will never ever let anybody have control over me. And, you know, they let me tie them. And I, of course, I take it at a pace that they are, are a hell yes to. And it's like, because I have a background as a healer and that's what I do, I kind of know how to ask the right questions to go, can I do this? And it's like this, this particular man, like going from a place of like, no, nobody can tie me to, okay, you can tie me to this degree because I've asked, can I do this? And then we've built enough trust to the point where when he finally got, I let me tie him in full, it took him three weeks to come back because it took him three weeks to integrate it all. And then when he came back, he was like, he saw how so many places in his life, he's confined himself. He put himself in his own ropes. He, you know, he confined, he wasn't living the life he loved. And all of a sudden, so all of these people, after they come out of the ropes, they usually enjoy, they're ecstatic, they're peaceful. Their life starts changing because they start seeing where they've held themselves back, where they've also, they've imprisoned themselves. And next thing you know, it's like the sexual freedom the of, of, of their openness, the, the being able to live the life they love to actually, you know, like one person was like, I had been so scared to go travel. And he's just like, he just took off. He started traveling. And it was just like, it touches everybody differently. And even if somebody doesn't come to me thinking that they're going to heal something, something shifts an opening, a transformation, a something that shifts mentally. And it's like, there's just more freedom in their life after, like during and after, because people, for some reason, you think about it, you're in rope, you can't go anywhere, you're, you're tied, right? But there's a freedom because there's nothing you have to do but be. How many times in our lives, all these workaholics, all this stuff, how many times do, do we get to be in a position where there's nothing we have to say, think, or do 
all we get to do is be in that moment. And when we're in that, anything can happen. Mm -hmm. And isn't it interesting that you are in the direct opposite position of freedom, being tied in ropes, <laughs> and yet you experience freedom? It is. It's complete contradiction. But when you feel safe and when you grow trust in me, like for me, it's like, I don't tie somebody unless I've had, I've definitely had a conversation. We've, I've answered all their questions. I've shared the, with them a little bit of who I am and my past and that I've come from it as a healing point of view. And so like, I let them get to know me. I let them answer, ask me any questions. And, and I, so I want to grow trust because in trust and in, and in safety, that's when the the healing happens is when the pleasure happens and what the joy happens. And I notice every single time somebody comes back, we go even deeper and we go even deeper in. And it's just like, because, you know, that, that trust and that safety is there. And, and yeah, so it's like, so strange to be like, oh, I'm bound, but I feel ultimate freedom to be myself, to live my life fully. And it's just contradiction or not, it works. Yeah. And and a lot of people think it's it's bondage, you know, Shabari is all about bondage and pain and torment. I've had most of the people I've tied at some point in time, even if it's for a second. First of all, they're all really relaxed. And almost every session I have, they tell me I almost fell asleep because their mind calms so much. And I'm not a sadist, so I'm not putting them in pain. The pain is in the pain body, the emotional body. That is what I'm I'm holding space for, not to put them in physical pain. And so then they get to surrender. And when they do that, then it's just like, they almost wanna fall asleep because there's nothing to be stressing about anymore. So let's describe what this would look like. Obviously we're on a podcast and we certainly are on video here on YouTube and, and we're not necessarily showing pictures of this. So if you could describe for our listeners what the process is for tying someone and is there certain rope and like where are you tied and, and give us that experience. Mm -hmm. Well, like I said, the. The session starts the moment they reach out. They reach out, we have a conversation. That is part of the session. When we both are a hell yes, if one of us is a no, it doesn't happen. When we're both a hell yes, we set a time, we set a date. Um, some people love to be tied outside. Some people love to just, they just want to come to my home and, and, and be tied. Some people are like, they want to, all day thing where I start with Shabari, I might, and then we have lunch, and then afterward, we might, um, I might give them a massage, give them body work, and it's a whole entire day practice. I might teach them some, but a regular practice is they usually come to my house with beginners. Usually, I'm not suspending them, um, but depending on their experience and who they are and what we've discussed could happen most of the time I do floor work the first session getting them used to like the first thing I do is get them used to seeing the rope feeling the rope on their skin like I'm just dancing with the rope on their skin and on their body just let them know like letting them have start having a relationship with the rope not only the rope but 
themselves and me and the connection of all three relationships. And then eventually I, I can just start wrapping or squeezing or, and for me, I'm a, I'm a touch oriented person. So I might do really soft caress touches. I might, I might, um, I bring in the elements. I'm, I am somebody who I'm an energetic person. I'm a sensual person and I'm a primal person. And if you don't know what primal is, it means all like the animal instinct. So, you know, I'm all, we go over boundaries before we go over consent. We talk about everything that's a hell yes. We, we talk about what's a no. We talk about all of that before the session. So then I know like, okay, I can touch their arm. I can, oh, they have an injury in their knee. Okay, we go over all of this stuff before. Then when the session actually begins, I know what I can and can't do. So I might, you know, caress the skin. I might, I might actually hug them and hold them, or that might be part of aftercare. Aftercare is at the very end. If you can't do, can't do aftercare, don't do the session, but it's like, and so getting them know, know the rope, the tight, the rope starts getting tighter. I might do a suspension. It might be an organic wrap if we're only keeping it on the floor. And it's just basically give them the experience of what it feels like to get a little tighter and a little tighter. And I'm listening to their body. I'm feeling, I'm pausing. There's times I'm breathing with them. Sometimes I just put my hand right on their heart. I just breathe with them. I have them open their eyes and be with me. Sometimes they have emotions. Sometimes they just go deeply into a meditative state and they just stay there. It's mostly a silent practice. Sometimes there's words here and there. Sometimes if, you know, sometimes it's uncomfortable, then they'll say it, you know, um, but um, mostly it's silent practice. And then once, you know, the rope, like, it's interesting that so many people are like, oh, tiny, 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 tiny. And then you're just trying to get the rope off. But there's a there's an art, there's a ritual on like how to take the rope off that actually can be more sensation oriented and more sensual than even putting the rope on. So the energies on the session can be anywhere from really soft to sensual to erotic, erotic, not necessarily meaning sexual, um, to primal and sexual energy might actually show up for them in the session. And I tell them like, Hey, if sexual energy shows up, it's okay. Celebrate it, celebrate all of it. But I'm not going to act on it because it's your session. And it's not about me. And it's not about me even giving you that, even if they want it, it's like, Nope, that is not for sessions. You know, and I, it's a whole safe place because this is why sexual healing happens because all of a sudden sexual energy shows up and I'm not acting on it. So then they can actually heal that aspect of themselves. Mm-hmm. But, um, and then at the end, there's there's aft, aftercare. Aftercare is usually, everybody has aftercare differently. They're being held, they're being caressed, they're being listened to, they're sharing. We have a, we have a sharing moment. Aftercare is also me having a phone call or a text with them the next day, up to about three days later, making sure they're integrating well, making sure that, you know, they're integrating everything and processing everything in a way that is feeling safe and feeling connected still. 
it's not they leave and I'm done. The session for me doesn't feel like it's done for at least 24 to three days, 24 hours to three days afterward. And so I'm there for them to be, if they ask questions, if they need support, if emotions show up. So yeah. that's the basics. Um, it doesn't always flow exactly like that, but it's the basics. There's a beginning, there's the pre-beginning, there's a beginning, there's the middle, there's the end, and then there's the after, you know, it's just the post-care. And it's just such a, such a beautiful thing to be able to be there, witness them, feel them through it, through it all. And so many people, it's scary that people don't do the aftercare and the aftercare is where the person gets to integrate everything that's been brought up for them. Did you know that beyond this podcast that I help busy entrepreneurs, storytellers, artists, creatives, and healers who might be feeling a little bit bored and burnt out and trying to figure out what to do next and what's my purpose in life, really find those answers? How? I say it's through shifting. It's just a matter of shifting your vibration and your frequency to higher states of consciousness and awareness in order to find the answers and live the life that we truly desire to live. So if you want to become a deliberate conscious creator who is enjoying the creations and the manifestations that you are experiencing in life, then I invite you to be a part of a very special five-week intensive. You can get all the details at dariath.com forward slash shift to learn more. You can experience wholeness, personal freedom, expanded states of creativity, confidence and flow while achieving your goals and flourishing in your unique gifts and talents. After this podcast episode, please head over to dariath.com forward slash shift to learn more about it. Yeah, we talk a lot about integration on this podcast with the use of obviously psychedelics and plant medicine. And I feature so many other modalities, healing modalities, and every one of them point to the need for integration. And, and I, I would say that that is where the work begins. It's where the long-term, as you point, aftercare, or what I like to refer to as in-care, inside-care, begins. And, and no matter what the modality is, no matter what it is that a person is using as the, the vehicle to initiate the healing, the healing begins or continues, I should say, in the integration. It initiates, it gets initiated in the process, in the practice. And then, yeah, afterward, it's like the healing really starts blossoming. Yeah, yeah. I tell people like, do not make any appointments for at least three hours after our session. You know, go to the beach, go for a walk, get a really good juice, make sure you have time to journal. Make sure tomorrow you have a gentle day, even if you have to go to work, you know? Yeah, very good points, very good points. How long is someone tied? A session can be anywhere from two to three hours. Um, Usually um, they're tied for about hour to an hour and a half of that because there's talk before and then there's untying and then there's aftercare so for the three hour session they're tied for longer but if it's sometimes people take 40 minutes of aftercare and so you need to be mindful that you know it might take longer but people are usually tied for about an hour and a half out of a two-hour session 
Um, but that is, that's starting just getting the rope, getting them know, knowing the rope. So they might not even be, be being tied then, but it's, it feels like it's, it is a journey. The journey is about an hour and a half. Um, if they're suspended, there's usually, depending on how new they are to suspension, they could be suspended anywhere from five minutes. They could be suspended up to 30 to 40 minutes if they're more experienced. So, and when you, when you say suspension, you mean that a person is tied and then they are lifted off the ground and their body weight and the ropes are, it's, that, that sounds like that would be somewhat intense. Is it physically intense for people? It can be, and it can't, and you know, so with anything in this realm, you can tie somebody and suspend people in a really painful way. And you can tie somebody and suspend them in a really comfortable way. I do the comfortable. I'm looking to see, like, there is going to be pressure. There's going to be a little discomfort. There shouldn't be a lot of pain. Sometimes transition because like you, I'll put them in a position and then I'll need to move them into another position because we need to move positions. You don't want people staying in one position too long, depending on um, how they are tied. Um, and so sometimes the transitions are a little uncomfortable, but they shouldn't be necessarily painful. Um, but yeah, there's some discomfort, um, but most people, it's like, it's the first time they're like, whoa. And then after the first or second time, they're like, oh, because the first time they're getting to know the sensation and then the second or third time they're like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And that, then it becomes relaxing because it's also, they realize they're trusting the rope and they're trusting themselves and they're trusting me more. It's more the fear of the unknown than the discomfort of what's going on with them physically. And, and I would suspect that that's part of what happens when people move from that state of being and awareness to this surrender to it, to this sense of freedom. It's, it, it is because of that and moving through it, perhaps that allows people to get into the deeper release that one might feel in the ropes. Yeah, yeah. It's, just like, it's just like life. You know, you feel uncomfortable. You've made a new decision. I'm, I'm going to go to this country or I'm going to buy this new car. And it's like, it's uncomfortable at first, even though it's exciting. Go under that, you know, you, the first time you get off the ground, it's like, it's like, oh, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, you know, I used to, I used to dance. Um, a, a friend and I created a, a dance style called um, aerial contact, where we would lift people off the off the ground onto our backs or onto our shoulders. And their first instinct was like, ah, ah, and then they'd go into bliss state. Well, it's this yeah. kind of same thing. Like yeah. they go and then they go, ah. but because with Shibari, the difference is with Shibari, they know it's happening. They know it's coming. So usually it's just the, the newness. Like once you've gotten, once you know what it feels like the second time you come back or whatever, it's like, yeah. And they're just like, they're waiting for it. And they're almost like wanting, they're like, oh, I can't wait to go up in the air and get my feet off the ground. And then they're like excited for it. Yeah, I owned an aerial fitness studio back in Pittsburgh a while ago. And we taught aerial silk dance, pole dance, lira and um, aerial yoga. And so when people would be up in the fabric and they're inverting and turning upside down, 
it was the for a lot of people had fear but then sometimes the weight even though that was fabric and it wasn't ropes the sense of the freedom that people got after they got over the fear of it was was tremendous and people had such a great time at full body fitness club back then so um, but so tell me how you know you mentioned that that you discovered this i think five years ago tell me how that happened and the transition to now uh, providing these sessions and teaching others how to to use shibari <laughs> it's um it's kind of funny so okay my my history is i've been a tantra educator for 22 years and so five years ago i had a student uh, come to me for what was what i used to call a pleasure session and in that pleasure session what would do what i would do is um there'd be different touches and different fabrics and i would use different things to see like what her point of pleasure was what she enjoyed and in this session something happened that had never happened before and it was just because i'm into it i'm feeling into the energy it just showed up without me thinking about it next thing i know i was dominating her and i was like at the end of the session she was just like that was amazing that's exactly what i wanted this is incredible and i was like wow and it was really profound for me too to be able to go there with her because like i never done any of that in my work like private life's one thing but in my work i was like Ooh. and i thought how do i how do i take her on her next level like i wanted to know that and so what i did was i talked to one of my friends and she's like oh well you need to get tied by one of my friends and i'd met him he came over he tied me and all of a sudden I was like stuff from my childhood coming up and I was crying and, and he was just holding me through it. And it was just like, so beautiful. And when we got done, I looked at him and we go, where do I learn this? And I was in LA at the time. So he's like the dungeons, there was three dungeons in LA at the time. And so he's like the closest one was sanctuary. And I just, I went to sanctuary and a mostly there on one or two other dungeons. And I was there taking rope classes two, two times a week and then other classes. I was at the dungeon two to five days a week. <laughs> I was just like, I got there and they showed me the initial time and I did it re really easily. And then I'd be helping other people in the class. And then, and then people were like, how are you getting this so fast? You've never done this. I'm like, no. Um, and then I, then I practiced with one or two of my friends that, you know, whenever we all had time, we would practice in my, my house or at a dungeon or whatever. And then that kept going until I moved out of the country. And then when I went to Thailand, um, I found, um, a group of people, a group of people, and I go, went to the classes. I wouldn't say I was learning anything, but I had a lot of fun. It was just like it was stimulating to my whole entire being. Then I found a teacher and she gave me one lesson. The lesson was on all just the basics, the basics of basics. My heart completely open, exploded open. My I was like, I need to practice this. She's like, you need to practice this. And I just started getting people three to five days a week at my house. And I was practicing and I was going online. I was I was trying everything to figure out what's the next tie I can do. What's the next tie I can do. What's it? I literally was doing Shibari either mentally 
watching it, learning it, practicing it three, um, about 20 to 30 hours a week. I actually OD'd on it. I was so in love with it. Um, I had to take a two week break. And then it was just like, I was just like, I just wanted to absorb as much as possible. And then when I, it was so interesting, I moved to Mexico and there I found this intuit and she goes, do you want to know why you're so good at this and you love it so much? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> First thing out of her mouth was really funny. She goes, you were a geisha in Japan in a past life. Like, yeah, yeah. Tell me something I don't know. She's like, and you were teaching the men shibari. I'm like, oh my God. I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, this is just amazing. Like, first of all, I didn't know geishas did that. And then I was like, it made so much sense. Why? Well, of course they did. <laughs> it was like, so, it's like she started saying, you know, if you go back to Japan, go to this place or this place, you'll feel really connected to it. And I was like, oh. and it was, and then uh, last year, everybody and it's just intuitively and people were like oh you do shibari and you teach and next thing i know um in mexico i just i started doing teaching private lessons one-on-one -on -one with people and all of a sudden i'm like i can do this i'm used to teaching i started teaching and i just started getting a regular group of people and then i moved to another city and i got a regular new group of people started doing private sessions started and all of a sudden it was like life exploded and now i'm living in san diego and it just feels like everything is saying yes like i went into deep meditation a few weeks ago and it just told me you you are on the right path this is exactly where you're meant to be yeah. this is what you are dedicated to you know, I often ask the healers that come on uh, on this podcast, um, what is it that for them, the definition of the way of the healer? I'm gonna ask you that now since we're on the conversation because I sense that you knew when this opened up as your way and your path. And, and what was that like for you? Are you talking my path of Shabari? No, just your path of really kind of stepping into this space of of healing and healing, yes, utilizing this modality. Because it, as you point out, um, you knew that you were doing it so often and you had confirmation from someone, but at what point did the, the realization of that become real for you? Well, I want to back up and say I've been a healer since I was eight or nine years old. When it comes to Shabari, honestly, I think it was the moment I took that private session. The moment I took that private, I mean, I was already in love with it. But the moment I took that private session, it's it was got so deeply embedded in my blood. There was just no, there was no, there was no not doing it. There was no going back. It was just, it was my favorite drug. And there's no negative side effects, thank God. Well, I mean, if you do it badly. Your favorite medicine. <laughs> my favorite medicine. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, 
And I actually did a, um, several months ago, I did a mushroom journey and it, it showed me I was on the right path, but it, it was already secondary to everything I already knew. I knew the moment I took that private lesson, it was like, and then when I just started tying people, it just confirmed everything. So that was, yeah, that was when I was in Thailand. Yeah. I just knew from that moment forth, I was just like, when I have gone too many days without doing Shibari, something in me just goes, oh. yeah. and now I've gotten used to, you know, if I go on a week long trip, I know, okay, you know, I may or may not have rope with me and I may or may not be able to tie and I now I'm okay. But at first it was just like, it felt painful not to have it in my life. And then to tie other people in sessions there's something so honoring to yeah. allow somebody to to have them trust me, to trust the rope and to trust themselves mostly yeah. and know that this is what they're meant to do, to surrender, to heal, to transform. Like it's, it's such an, it's like people don't realize that Jabari is, it's a form of worship. You're honoring somebody, you're worshiping them in the rope. It's a divine practice. Sure, it can be everything else. It can be an art, it can be painful, it can be a sadist's dream or a masochist's dream. It can be a sexual thing, it can be all of that. And you know what, you can do it in, I think all those realms in a way that is worshiping them, honoring to them, and a divine practice. I think you perfectly described in your own definition the way of the healer. Uh, my conversations with shamans and particularly those that work directly with plant medicine would mirror or reflect, I believe, the same sentiment about the way they are in their experience of delivering medicine, that this is about the worship of someone else, the honoring of someone else, the opportunity to assist someone in their own healing. And as much as the title of this podcast and, and many of the stories are about the healers, ultimately what I know at least with my intention for doing this, but what I believe the overall intention is to help people to discover the healer within themselves and that we have the capacity to heal and how we are healing ourselves, choosing whatever modalities we choose and having much reverence and respect in, in the honoring of being healed as well as discovering our own capacity to heal ourselves. Well, and there's an important thing to know, and a lot of, I would say most authentic healers know this, but people who've taken a course and they're like, oh, I'm a healer. Um, <laughs> they don't know it yet, which is, I don't heal anybody. I'm not doing the healing. I'm holding the space for them to heal to the degree that they want or need, or they're, they're that they're ready. Like if I could heal things in other people, healers would be rich people because you know what? Then the human themselves wouldn't have to do anything. They just, oh, I go to you and you can take care of it. Mm -hmm. I'm not healing them. 
when they are ready, they come to the right person to guide them to heal. When we actually take responsibility as a healer, uh, we heal that person. You're taking the power away from them. Who wants to do that? We want to be uplifting, empowering people, which is exactly what, you know, I've gone through Kundalini yoga training and it's like, it's exactly what they say. You want to uplift and empower other people. This is what a healer does. I want to uplift and heal you, support you to heal, but I'm not healing you. I'm not healing you. I'm guiding you to your own healing and that empowers them. Yes, exactly. And uh, so glad we had that conversation because it's, I think it's important particularly uh, for me to address it every once in a while in these conversations is that just as you pointed out, this is this is not about the healer uh, as much as all of you all are quite interesting in various different ways, but it is about our choice to allow the healing and or healing of ourselves in whatever modality and process that we, we choose to, to do that with. Can people tie themselves or do you need to be tied by someone else? Um. No, you can tie yourself. Um, I've even, you know, many people have even suspended themselves. Um, if you actually go onto my Instagram, you'll actually see pictures of me suspending myself. Um, in fact, when I teach my classes, I have a weekly class and then I teach one or two weekend workshops on every month. And it's like when we, the first thing we start is, okay, we're going to start on our ankle. Because guess what? You are your first relationship. Your second relationship in the realm of Shabari is the rope. And then if you have another human, then that's a third relationship. So it's like your first relationship is with yourself. So it's like, yeah, you can tie your ankle. You can tell like, tie your body. If you know the harnesses, you can put a harness on you and you can suspend yourself up from a tree, from a shibari rack or whatever. It doesn't matter where, as long as it's safe. And so, yeah, you can tie yourself. And so the people out there who are like, I'm not so sure, you know, about going to somebody, they can take classes, they can take private sessions and they can learn how to suspend themselves. They can learn how to just tie themselves on the floor and you know, learn how they can actually move in rope. I know people, especially when they get new rope, a new rope is uh, sometimes a little um, dry or it needs to be oiled. And some people don't want to put oil on it. They, the, some of the, the best way to actually oil it is your own um, oil from your skin. They will tie something like a harness on their chest or around their legs or something like this. And they'll wear it for the day. And by the end of the day, the rope has absorbed their own oil and so then they use that, the, you know, it softens it even more. Oh, and I use jute, I should say this. I use jute, which is a natural fiber rope. It's great for suspensions and stuff like that. I don't really, there's other kinds of rope, but this is just the one I prefer. And the, the more hu human oil that you have in your rope, um, the better. Or like for me, it's like a, I've got a bunch of rope that's for my students. I actually oil that with like jojoba oil or something like this. And that keeps it soft. It keeps it conditioned. It, you know, there's a whole entire process of conditioning rope. But yeah, so yes, you can tie yourself. How do you include tantric work with Shibari? <sighs> so yes, I teach a workshop um, called Tantric Shibari. I think it's easier for me to say like in my private sessions, what happened was what I realized what I was doing was, was bringing my Tantra background into my sessions. And I realized I need to teach this because I want people to see that this is sacred. So 
how I blend these two is there's sometimes eye contact, there's breathing together. There's in the Kama Sutra, which is technically not part of um, Tantra, but everybody thinks it is, there's sensation play. You're, you know, sensation play is also part of Bari, you know, bringing presence, you know, having my hand on their heart and breathing with them, holding them, holding them really tight. You know, it's like giving them different sensations to feel in their body, um, actually moving their body in different ways. Like sometimes like in Shabar, in, in Tantra, it's like there's a movement, there's a dance, there's different sensations, there's breath work, there's, there's the dynamic of soft to deeper. There is, there's just, there's a, and in both of them, there's deep presence. You don't have a deep presence you can't do either one of these you know and so i bring in all of these elements meditation people meditate like there's so many different kinds of meditations that are tantric and you can bring those into shibari but shibari on its own is a meditation it's like to be able to breathe. Like I tell people, and I've actually was, I actually have experienced this several times being tied myself is, you know, sometimes something is a little painful. I, I have sensitive calves and as I like, tie it really tight, I'm like, oh, and then the guy who's tying me with a sadist. So, so he didn't care that I was in pain, but I was like, but what I learned was if I took three to five deep breaths, pain left, it just left. It was gone. Now there is too, such thing as too much pain, but there's different versions of pain in your body. When it's just like, wow, that's just a new and it's like really tight at first, you can breathe into it and the pain goes away. Well, in, 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 in Tantra, you have emotional pain. You're breathing through it. The emotions show up. There's different versions. And both of them have emotional pain that shows up. Both of them, or can, both of them are healers. Both of them, trauma might show up. Like a lot of people don't see Tantra as a healing modality. It's the main reason why I got into it because I wanted to heal my wounds. And then all of a sudden, as I started healing, I, well, I first started healing others. And then I started doing more healing on myself. They're both healing modalities. So blending them with the breath, with the movement, with the sensation play, with the meditation, with the eye gazing, with the um, connection, with the presence all of them blend really well together. So when I teach this workshop, I'm teaching different modalities of, of breath and meditation and, and touch and bringing them into sensation play to bring more pleasure into their life, which Tantra includes all pleasure, all, all anywhere from pain to pleasure. Shabari can do the same thing. And so I'm dancing them all together and blending them all together. And then teaching them also the technical part, which there's technical part of Tantra. You can the technical part of Tantra. The first time you, when you start learning Tantra, a lot of people go, God, I'm so in my head because you are in your head at first until you embody it. Same with Shabari, you're in your head until you embody it. And then all of a sudden it becomes this just blending dance, intuitive thing of like, oh, I'm gonna dance with the rope and I'm gonna breathe and I'm gonna bring you close and I'm gonna have you so close that I might even just, if, if they're your partner, I, I might even kiss you. 
or if that's a client, bring them close and let them wonder, are they good? Are she going to kiss me? Like, no, I'm not going to kiss you. But it's like that. It's just like all the sensation, all the play, all the exploration. Most of my clients, they don't even think I'm going to kiss them because they know I'm not going to, but it's great to like get them really close. Yeah. Like, in- I, I can also see how this, particularly for people who may be dealing with sexual trauma um, or, or some trauma associated with uh, intimacy or sexuality um, or some form of maybe abuse, sexual abuse, that, that this will, can, I should say, bring that up for people. And, um, and, and, you know, maybe a lot of this could be deep held trauma that they put in the back of their mind because perhaps it happened when they were little or children. And now this comes to the surface during these sessions. Well, it's, there's something amazing and magical that they go into that place of like, I'm out of control. I was out of control when I was a kid, when so-and-so hurt me. But then they realize what happens is the memory shows up. They check into the reality of the present moment because I'm doing a sensation on them or touching them appropriately. They realize they feel safe. And then what used to be a negative memory is a negative memory without the pain body that's connected to it. And then what happens is there's freedom because they realize like, I'm safe now. I'm safe here. I'm safe by myself. I'm safe to be in relationship. And so then the negative thing that is holding in their body gets replaced with a positive memory of the present moment. And then they can kind of move through life with this positive memory and this positive um, sensation in their body instead of like that old feeling of of the pain and the trauma in their system. And I'll, I'll give you an example, my own personal example. So I went through something traumatic with my family in 2018. I could not find a modality that supported me to heal. I was like, I try this, I try this, I try this and try. Sure, it helped some or helped some for a short period of time. But then I found that when I was getting tied, you know, first of all, I'm a claustrophobic person. And you think I'm being tied, like, oh, and it's like, what I did, I breathed through it. I was like starting to freak out. I was thinking, oh my God, he's going to have to cut all this rope off me. And then I was like, can you breathe? And I breathed into it. My body started relaxing until the point where that sensation normally, that fear doesn't really come up anymore for me, unless it's maybe a new person, I'm getting to know them. And then it's like, then it goes away pretty shortly after when I know I'm feeling safe. But it's what I realized was because in this moment, I was feeling safe. So the memories would come up like, oh, oh. and then it would be literally the sensations of them, not the memories, but the sensation of those. It would be placed with positive stuff, positive sensation, positive reinforcement of you're safe now, safe here. Very shortly after this one particular session I had, I started dressing differently. I started walking differently. It was like, I could feel my sexiness coming back because I was like, I was like all kind of like, oh no. It's like, I couldn't have a sexual partner. It was just like, I was all, 
And all of a sudden I'm like, Ooh, I'm sexy. I'm going to wear sexy clothes. I'm going to wear short, short shorts. I'm going to start to, and it was like, all of a sudden I just felt pleasure. I felt good. I felt beautiful walking down the street and I started getting attention. I'm like, wasn't used to it. I'm like, Whoa, for a few years, I had not had any attention. Positive reinforcement that I was safe in my body. Mm, yeah. And, you know, I have to say that no matter what that trauma that someone may have had that dislocated for them the ability to feel safe in their body, when that is reignited and you have the sense of owning yourself, feeling safe in your body, feeling like you, you want to project, whether male or female, sensing into the, the, the strong feminine energies or masculine energies, it's like life changes, right? Because now you're more in connection with, with who we are. And um, this is one of those modalities that brings people closer to them. I can see how it can be liberating in that sense. Well, it also brings their power back. Because first of all, is you know they're, they're feeling safe and they feel in their power. But it's also empowering because they get to tell me how far I get to play. They they're doing the they're doing these are my boundaries. And normally when I play the first time, if this is their boundaries, I play way far inside them. And then I each time they'll give me my their their boundaries and I'll play a little bit further and only stay within their boundaries. But that way they know I'm not even close to going to the, to their boundaries or over their boundaries because I'm playing so far in the first one or two sessions that I don't even get to their boundaries usually until like the second or third sessions. And I definitely, then they realize I'm never going to go over their boundaries. Hmm. And yeah. it's like, so it's empowering because I told you this, you honored it. Yeah. I told you this, you honored it. So that's empowering helps them to use their voice because a lot of people in real life, how many times do people go, what's your boundaries? What's consensual for you? Like, wh where am I allowed to touch you? Am I allowed to hug you? Can I hug you? Yeah, I've had clients come to me living in Asia, having Asian um, clients. A lot of them are not touchy feely people. And I had one client that was like, okay, I'm not really touch oriented. I'm like, I don't know how to tie you without touching you. Like, okay. We had a long conversation and then she's like, okay. Yeah. And she I was ready for the experience. And at one point after, after the session, I, I could feel her body. I could feel her kind of moving into me. And so I would just hold her at times and I kind of not too long. And afterwards she was like, my favorite parts were when you hold, held me. Like I never felt so comfortable being touched by anybody ever. Wow. And this from someone who did not like to be touched. So talking about really moving the needle on the um, capacity to allow someone in or allow touch and feeling. How do you take care of yourself and your energy body? Because I would imagine that with this is probably somewhat physical, but I'm speaking more from the energetics of it and what you do to ground or keep yourself in alignment so that you are available to, to, to be in a frequency to support people this way. First, really good night's sleep. <laughs> have got to sleep. Okay. So it's like when I know I have a session the next day, I mean, I love, I love to sleep. I love getting a good night's sleep anyway, but, um, 
I get myself centered. First of all, I, I, I do part of my practice is making sure like the conversation we have centers me. I kind of feel it into my energy body. I feel my feet on the ground. I connect to mother earth. I can feel like the roots coming out my feet into mother earth. Yes, the act of tying somebody and holding space, I stay really grounded and connected. I stay connected to my breath. If something is getting really um, intense in a way where I'm like, you know, I sometimes I'll like get really into it. I'm like, and it's getting faster. And then I'm actually pausing for them, but I'm also pausing for me to go deep breath back into me so all of me can still be with them but i'm still in my body um so staying connection to my breath staying in connection to mother earth keep coming back to myself and seeing there's been times i'm like wow you feel my energy shifting or changing or whatever and it's like what do i need and i do it even though it's their session and that might mean i need to walk over and get a glass of water and I do it. Yeah. Um, afterward, and this is the thing. When I have a shabari session, it's normally the only thing I do all day, because it takes me about two hours, like two hours the day before and the day of, to like get myself really tuned in. I meditate on their session. I meditate on what we've talked about, all this stuff. I go through a practice. Then afterward. I make sure I have nothing on the books for two to three hours. And that is my time. I go to a cafe. I have my favorite cup of chai and I just sit there. I watch something that's soothing to myself or I, or I listen to music and I have nothing. I do not return phone calls. I don't do anything. It's like, it's the time for me to do aftercare with me. But even though the aftercare, like that's another thing I should say, the aftercare that we're giving our partner, our, our client, my client might be holding stuff like this, but me being the person that's tying, I need aftercare also. Most of my clients want to be held and nurtured. When I'm doing that, it's actually aftercare for me too. I remember doing a photo shoot um, in Thailand and every time I tied her, she was always just like this person that was very slow to come out, sometimes up to 40 minutes. And I was like, I was fine with it. One, when we did the photo shoot though, she popped out of it. She was so excited. She was like, that was amazing. That was incredible. I didn't get my aftercare. And then all of a sudden my, she leaves and the photographer's there asking for money. And I'm like, I was like, whoa, very stimulating. And then he leaves and I go, okay, I didn't get my aftercare. What do you need? I'm like, I just laid down, put soothing music on. I, I think I lit a candle and some incense and I just laid down and I held myself. Mm. Yeah, I know how important it is for healers to ground and have aftercare and before care. And, uh, and, and so you point out the importance of doing it. And yet you're also receiving your aftercare when giving it to others. It sounds so reciprocal. Uh, before I ask a question about orgasms and um, if people in fact have orgasms during uh, these sessions, I do want to remind people who are listening and or watching to please subscribe on whatever platform you are listening or watching on. And certainly if you're on YouTube, 
Go ahead and subscribe, hit the notification bell so that you are notified about each and every episode. And uh, with that, what about orgasm? And does do people have orgasms during this time? Does this increase the likelihood that they will have more orgasms afterwards? What's the orgasmic nature of Shibari? First, I have to define orgasm because what you might be talking about and what I think is orgasm are two, possibly two different things. So a lot of times people call climax orgasm. They are not the same. So climax is a physical reaction in our sex. We're tantra educators. So, <laughs> you know, when all the muscles are contracting in our sex, male or female, that is a climax. This can spur an orgasm. Orgasm is an energetic thing that makes our body move. It can be, we can have it stem from the mouth or the inner arm or, you know, from somebody pulling our hair, or it can be from somebody touching our feet just the perfect way. And it just puts shivers up our spine and our body just starts to move uncontrollably. That's an orgasm. And so with all the sensation play, orgasm as an energetic thing, if the person's open, climax, I've not known anybody because I'm not playing sexually with my, my, my um, clients. So I've never known somebody have a climax. Or orgasm, yes. Sometimes putting rope on somebody's skin is sometimes can just be so orgasmic people. People are like, oh, and their body just starts to shake and shimmy and just kind of release and ooze all this beautiful like energy and pleasure out of their body. And then, um, you know, I'm getting to the point where I, I forgot my gong set, set up. And when I tie, I'm going to start playing the gong and let the sensation of the vibration go into their body. I've done taken um, and, and not on their sexual part. I've taken, I've taken a vibrator and put it just on the rope, like on their belly or on their chest and watch how their body responds to that sensation. And it can be very orgasmic. And it's like, they can just be like, that was the most amazing experience. It's so enlivening. It's so electric. It's just so beautiful. So their body can go into full body orgasm just from the rope or a sensation of me touching them because what happens is all the sensations and the, the body is heightened because you can't do anything. You can't, you can't get a, you can't get away from your mind. You can't get away from it. And all of a sudden it's like, you're so surrendered. You feel so safe that your whole body opens up to a deeper sensation than maybe you've ever experienced. And so the energy just starts flowing through the body. So can somebody orgasm energetically? Yes. Climax. I'm sure if you're with your partner and you're doing just the right things, I'm sure people could do that too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I know probably many people who are watching and listening are obviously quite curious. And so we'll make sure that all of Heather's links are included here. 
uh, in the show notes page uh, on the website, thewayofthehealer.com, as well as uh, on the YouTube channel. So you'll be able to find that, uh, as well as a couple of uh, discounts that she's offering, especially to our listeners. So we want to make sure that you double back, go to the show notes page so that you can find that, and then links out uh, to her various websites and courses and things that she offers as well. Before we close, Heather, any final thoughts that you'd like to share with us? Mm. Well, the first thought that came to mind, which we have not mentioned, is I started filming yesterday um, for, I'm starting a Patreon account in August. So, so many people message me all the time, like, where can I learn? Oh, how can I learn your style? This and the other. And I'm like, okay. So yesterday I started filming. I'm hoping that I have um, enough content and figure out how to do a Patreon. Um by, you know, sometime in August. And so that is one amazing resource that I'm going to be just sharing, you know, so much of what I know on there. And um, I'm going to also say that when you go to find somebody, if you, if you can't come to me wherever I am in the world or hire me to come to you, which I will do, um, when you go to choose somebody to tie you, if you are doing it for healing purposes, make sure, find out their background, find out who they are, find out that they are somebody that you can fully trust. Find out why, what their reasoning and purpose is for doing it. I highly recommend not working with a sadist unless you're into pain and to honor yourself at every single point in the session from before to after. If you're a hell no to anything somebody says, make sure you say it, honor yourself, use your voice, love yourself that much that even though they're the professional, you know more about you and your body than anybody else and love yourself through that because I'm here on this planet to support people to release trauma and live their most full, inspired, beautiful, pleasurable lives. We need to learn to speak up and say, no. And even though I know what my intentions are for tying people and stuff like this, if one of my clients are, is a no to something, no, I don't want you to bite me. Great. I honor it. Make sure this person, whoever you choose, honors you completely and wholly. If they have any hesitation, walk out. Yeah. Best, best advice, loving yourself and knowing how to say no and having the boundaries that you need in this path of healing is so important. So. Heather, thank you so much uh, for your time with us today. Again, everything you need is on the show notes page. We'll make sure that we've got links there. For all of you all listening and watching, I do appreciate the support. Leave us some comments. Be sure to share this episode with others. And by all means, may you have a glorious, fantastic day. Thanks for being with us. Hi, thank you. Did you know this podcast is a part of an even larger docu-series? Yep, there is an entire documentary underway called The Way of the Healer, where I introduce you to extraordinary women from around the world who are transforming lives with the use of plant medicine and psychedelics. You can learn more about it at thewayofthehealer.com.
Thanks for being a part of my day and for listening. Be sure to check out the website, thewayofthehealer.com, for more details, useful tools and links, free resources, and more. Disclaimer. The Way of the Healer Conversation for Change podcast and its host and guests are providing this information for educational purposes only. We do not condone nor condemn the selling, purchase, or use of any substances that are considered outside of legal acquisition or usage. We encourage discretion and safety when involving yourself or others with substances and activities that are deemed illegal by your official local government laws and agencies. It is your responsibility to research and know applicable laws.